We are UCL and these are our remarkable stories. I'm Gia Lulich and I work in the UCL organisational development team. In each episode, I will be in conversations with a UCL guest as they share with us their remarkable stories, experiences and life lessons. Today, I'm excited to speak to UCL alumni Shakayla Forbes-Bell, who is pioneering an important new stream of psychology in the field of fashion and its social impact. Hi, Shakayla, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. Hi, thanks for having me. This is such an exciting um, interview for me because I love fashion and I love psychology as well, and the fact that you're pioneering this industry and it's something that's very new um, is really exciting to see how it all came about. So my first question is tell us about your journey from where it all started and um, you know speak to us about the milestones that got you to where you are now. Yeah so I um, studied psychology at UCL of course um, and I really loved it. Psychology was always something I was super passionate about from A-level but at the same time I was always very creative, very into fashion and style so it was a really weird toss-up between trying to get into like a Central St Martins and then going to UCL to pursue psychology but I think at the end, I thought, you know, psychology is a bit more of something I I know more of and I think I'm pretty good at, so let me go for that. But then when I was during in the course, um, I found that there was a, a big push towards clinical psychology. And I had always thought, okay, fair enough, I'll try to be, you know, the black female Frasier. That was always something I thought about from a young age and, you know, go down maybe psychotherapy, um, or like CBT or different types of therapy or different types of clinical. And then the more I got into it, the more I realized that it's not really me. Like I kept being pulled towards social psychology um, and different research about impression formation. And that was really where my interest lied. And then when it got to the final year where we can do our own thesis, there was different projects that we could jump on and something in me just said to do my own project so I was really passionate about um, social injustice um, at the time. That's when I really started to open my eyes to what was going on in the world. And it was at the same time as the Trayvon Martin murder. And I remember there was some really horrific reporting in the press talking about his hoodie and how black men, when they're wearing specific clothing types, how it makes them look fearful in the eyes of some of some people. And it really shocked me that in this day and age, um, we're still seeing those reactions. And I really wanted to research further the intersection between race, clothing and impression formation um, in light on the current, current socio-political environment. So I went ahead and I found uh, a supervisor who was willing to take on this very random project, um, Adrian Furnham, who was really supportive of what I was trying to do. And yeah, and I was doing that research and did really well in it. And it's something I wanted to research further. I wanted to find out different ways to incorporate my love for psychology with research um, into the kind of fashion and styling industry. 
so I did some research and I was trying to find out like, is this a thing? Does anybody else know about this? Like, is this just something that's bound within like random old psychological journals that I'd have to kind of find the nuance to connect it with fashion? But um, luckily I found a um, woman by the name of Kate Nightingale. She's a style psychologist based in London. And I interned with her for maybe about two years, just learning more about how she applies her um, fashion psychology knowledge um, into the working world and how she works with brands, with visual merchandising, and she had her own clients. Um, And it was just something I found so fascinating. Um, So I decided to start my blog um, because I thought, you know, all of this information, it shouldn't be kept within the bounds of academia. Like I kind of only have access to all of this knowledge because I'm a student at UCL. Like there's so many people who are not aware of the, um, of, um, the impact of their clothes and how they interact with people or the impact on clothes and how they act within themselves or when they go shopping and how all of these different, um, psychological tricks are being used to impact their consumer behavior. So I started the blog and I thought, you know what, I really want to take my research further. Um, And then luckily I found the master's course at London College of Fashion and my mum was like, that is you, just go for it. Um, Although it was super obscure and it was the first time the course was ever being run. So we were literally the guinea pigs at the time. Um, I just went at it like full throttle and I researched um, multicultural marketing within fashion. So um, for my thesis, I looked at how black consumers um, respond to black models and how that actually impacts their willingness to buy a product, to buy into a brand and how much they're willing to spend on the product. Because at the time there was a whole scandal about one of the Vogue editors who came out and said that, you know, black models, they don't sell on the cover of magazines. So I wanted to prove empirically that that wasn't the case. And, you know, black brands shouldn't feel that they have to shy away from their culture and their background in order to sell, you know. Um, and I'm so happy that since I published that, um, and even maybe a bit before, like we're really seeing change within the industry and it's coming a lot more inclusive. Um, and yeah, that was something I was super passionate about. But of course, fashion psychology is such an expansive area in research. So I just really continued with the blog and it kind of spiraled into people really finding out about it. And then me working with brands like Next and Sainsbury's and afterpay and having like clients and giving insights and yeah so it's kind of been a bit of a whirlwind um but it really did start from yeah from school like I always say that my education really helped me get to where I am today and I wouldn't really be anything without um kind of doing the research and doing the studies and kind of piecing it all together I think it's incredible that you um managed to marry like two of your passions which are psychology and fashion also with a really important purpose and with a really important cause um I wondered I I went on your blog just before um we did this interview and I I saw in the intro that there was a picture that went viral after graduation yeah (laughs) what uh, I wondered what was the picture and why did you think um it had such a massive impact This is such a funny story. So I remember, um, yeah, when I graduated, um, I was just so excited. Something about graduating your master's, I don't know, it's just, it seemed like such a long road when we started the course. So to graduate, it was just a huge 
deal for me and to be the first cohort to graduate I think we were all feeling super buzzed and super pumped and then to be able to graduate um, with my study that did find empirically that you know black models like they do sell and I just thought it was such an important cause and I said mom I'm going to throw my fist in the air like you know obviously that's such a, a pivotal pose um within like the Black Panther movement and within the current wake of like Black Heart Black Lives Matter movement so yeah I said mom I want you to get a good picture of me looking like this and make sure it's good and um yeah and she and she got the great picture and yeah I was just so proud of myself and I think I accompanied my post um talking about my studies and talking about an incident which actually happened a week prior when I went to Boots um and I was asking one of the makeup counter girls for like, oh, do you have the shade? And she said, no, we don't. I'm sorry, we only carry like this amount of shades. We don't carry darker shades um, in this store. And I thought in this day and age, this is still like happening. And I just kind of tied it all together with like all my research I'm doing about the marginalizations of um, black women, not only obviously within the fashion and beauty industry, but just beyond that. Um, so yeah, I just felt like, you know, I'm going to do this not just for me, but for my community and my culture. And people really resonated it and responded to it. And yeah, it went absolutely everywhere. Um, yeah, I couldn't believe it. it had like over like 15,000 like likes and retweets. And I got a lot of, lots of comments from it. Not all nice comments. No nice comments. It was, was a bit overwhelming. People were like, oh, that's just like, oh, that's not a real thing. She's not going to get a job. She's not going to get anything. And that was super disheartening. But um, obviously the good weighed out the bad. Um, so I, it really spurred me on to realise, you know, there is, there is a market for this and maybe I'm going to have to create that market or create that lane for myself and that will be challenging, but I'm, I'm happy to take that challenge head on. That's amazing. And what, was, what were some of the comments that were not so positive that people left on there? I think people were really judging the legitimacy of my degree. I, obviously, it's something very new um, and it's super niche. So they didn't really know what it was and what avenue or what money I could make from it, which is something that I had to battle when I was studying. I remembered when I went to London College of Fashion and there was a job fair and everybody on the course was super excited because we were like, yeah, we actually don't know what we're going to do with this degree. So let's speak to people and find out. And I was speaking to um, some brands, some luxury brands came there and telling them about my degree. And they were like, yeah, so what, 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 what can you do? What, what's your, like, what's your value? And I just remember being like, oh my God, like, what is my value? Like, what are people thinking? And then the more I did my research, the more I realized how much fashion psychology applies to almost every area of the fashion industry. And I think it was actually good for me to have that challenge because it made me realize, okay, I need to find practical ways to apply this research, right? If I don't want to be stuck within academia, I need to find ways that the, in, find ways of communicating how much value is to the industry. So then I looked at how, okay, if I want to apply this to virtual merchandising, I can look at different studies that talk about how people respond to different environments, lightings, um, um, displays, etc. Or if I want to go on to like the personal styling side, I can look into how people specifically relate to different styles, how they engage with fashion, how that has an impact on them, how it impacts different cultures, etc. If I want to go into marketing, like which is kind of what I did, I looked into more consumer behavior and like multicultural marketing which is kind of what I specialized in 
and looking at buying patterns and, um, you know, different things like that. Or if I wanted to go into consumer relationship management or more on like the techie side, I can look at, you know, different um, ways that people interact with like media and um, how that has an impact on their like decision making and just analyzing a lot of data and looking at trends. Um, and do you know what? There's so many different ways that we can apply psychology within the fashion and beauty industry. So I think that point in my life really helped me to narrow down what I wanted to do and yeah make me realize the different ways that I can apply it um, which is what I have been doing now. It's so interesting I feel that whenever anyone comes out with a new idea or like a new pathway there's always like some level of resistance or you know people questioning it so I think you know the fact that you got past that is you know really incredible and it shows um, a lot of confidence and belief in what you're doing and striving for. So when this whole journey started did you have a vision of where you wanted to go or did things just kind of unfold as you went along? Yeah so as much as I was trying to think about the different avenues I could take it down, when the journey started, which kind of started after my picture went viral, I really didn't know what on earth I was going to do with it. I knew that marketing was the safest bet for me. So I did do a lot of marketing internships and found like marketing jobs. And that's kind of the avenue I went down. But then at the same time, I was still creating the blog, still putting up posts and getting really good reception from it. And I kind of, yeah, at at a certain point, I didn't know what to do with all of the reception I was getting and the questions I was um, being asked. And then I got a lot of interest from press and to do interviews. And then I thought, okay, actually, there is something else I can do with this. Um, And then I got approached by Next and that was my first time with like a big brand and I did this whole like piece for them about the psychology of workwear and how um, certain clothing styles can really help women feel a lot of confidence and how they can use that to help them battle imposter syndrome in the workplace and I thought you know there's so many different opportunities that I can do and work with different brands as clients to really help them understand the insights that are available and see like how their consumers are responding to different things and how I can marry my insights and my research to help them you know push their different campaigns or help them resonate with clients and their customers on a deeper level so I think that basically from me pushing out content from of like of the whole area of fashion psychology as a whole um, really made people realize that there was something more to explore here and then as the opportunities came I kind of just said yes to everything and then I started to find out what I liked and what I didn't like and I really just started to do more of what I liked and it's been weird like I've been in a very privileged position which I haven't really pitched to anyone so to speak like a lot of brands have found me through my work that I've just been pushing out relentlessly um which I know doesn't work for everyone but I've been quite lucky in that respect that I've kind of just been hammering home all of the research and just pushing my blog as much as possible um so I'm hoping that yeah with all of these new clients I have come on board and these brands I'm working with I could find even more like areas to explore and take it really further but to say that I had a clear vision of where this would end up and the position I am now like absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) So, um, just to go back to the part about the picture coming out and going viral, Mm -hmm. when, whenabouts was that? 
So that was soon after graduation because it's my graduation picture. Um, I want to say, oh my God, this is so long ago. I feel like it was 2016, 16 or 17. The reason I'm asking that is because, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, it just shows how far, you know, how long this has been building up. Yeah. If it was even several years, um, you know, before this all actually came out, it just shows mm-hmm. how that people were feeling this way for a really long time yeah. and you kind of were one of the people that kind of put it out there and you had such a big response. And I wondered, um, ha- have things changed a lot in those three or four years, do you feel? Um, you know, when you walk into a chemist, are you still finding that? there isn't a shade that, you know, is matching to your skin? Or do you feel like things have progressed a little bit in the last three or four years in that in that way? Yeah, I think things have progressed definitely a lot. Um, I think with this second wave of the Black Lives Matter movement, I think people are not just thinking about, you know, um, the basic human rights of black people. I think people are thinking more about the nuances of how they interact with black people and the quality of life that black people need to deserve. So not just on like a very like macro level, but more like, yeah, like just the basis of like finding a a certain shade or having certain products for um, black skin and black hair available um, in these mainstream stores or, you know, like making sure that the way we are, treated within workplaces are like the same and we're not having to deal with microaggressions and those kind of conversations are coming more towards the forefront so I think that's like super important I think um it's not just about black lives just um you know on like a very literal basis like actually not like you know murdering us in the street but actually making sure that our quality of lives is fair and equal and I think yeah we're moving towards not just talking about equality but talking about equity and I think that's super important I think there's so many amazing people doing work on the ground level um and I hope that through like my research my blog I'm shining a light on that um and just talking about how yeah fashion is just one area but um you know creativity is such a big part of our culture and it's something that I think black people should be celebrated in a lot more of and you know there's some amazing like black designers black makeup artists black founders and yeah I think that the conversation has really changed towards shining a light on these people and shining a light on just every aspect of black people's lives and making sure that you know everything is fair and on an even kill. And during all those years that you've done the research in this particular field um, with that in focus or anything else really to do with fashion psychology, was there any fact or story or, um, you know, statistic that you were really shocked by? Is there anything that you learned along the way that you thought that I would have never expected that? Um, I'm not sure about... Well, there are a few statistics, um, I guess, in my paper, but this is like from a few years back, um, just talking about the inequality of black people like on screen and in mainstream advertisements. I think we're still having a case where you see a 
black person in an advert on screen and you, it stops you in your tracks. You're like, oh, wow, that's great. And I think we do want to get to a point where we're just thinking of it as normal. I think now with, with, like, with these Christmas adverts, with like Sainsbury's and Tesco's, I know people have had such a huge backlash towards that. And it just goes to show that we're still in a time where there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still a lot of prejudice um, going around. Um, but I think if you would do that research today, I think you'll see that there's definitely been an uptake in representation um, in mainstream media. I think one thing that I really started to wake up to when I was studying was thinking about who is actually taking part in these tests in this research and who is completing the research. So, for example, I was looking at the intersection between fashion psychology and race for a piece for the blog and um this is just after george floyd and you know some people said that talking about the police like oh it's not just um it's not a race thing it's just about um police and how they have this level of authority and power and you know power corrupts and the people kept referencing the famous um zimbardo prison experiment um where they had basically a set of participants and they assigned them roles and gave them uniforms and half of them were guards and half of them were um, prisoners. And it, the results of the study basically found that the guards really mistreated the prisoners and they abused their authority. And the, um, the conclusion was just that, you know, if you place anybody in a position of power without any oversight, they are <clears throat> going to act unlawfully. And, um, but when you actually think about it, when you look at the participants, these are all white males, right? And when you look at this, the researchers, they're white males. So I think to look at that kind of study through that very specific lens, it ignores the nuance of the black experience and how um, black people in general, they have to go through life with a very different experience. Um, there's a study by um, DBE Dubois and he talks about the veil of, um, and I think it's the veil of racism and he talks about how black people have to look at lives through a very different lens to white people um, and ethnic minorities in general. And when placed in that position, you can't really say that ultimate power would corrupt because we're already placed at a very disadvantaged position from the get-go because of systemic um, inequalities. Um, so it really made me look um, take a closer look at all of the research that has been conducted in that area and in psychology in general, and really making sure that I look at it with a critical lens um, and understanding that, you know, some, some of these experiences aren't universal. They're very much through like a, a white Western um, viewpoint. Um, and I found that a lot when I get asked about things like colour psychology um, and like, you know, people would publish things like, oh, this colour means that. And I think, oh God, you're completely ignoring the um, the cultural understanding of these certain colors like yes it might mean this in your western world but you know in different countries and different continents it means something completely different and that is something that you know people need to take into more consideration so yeah that's something I really had to come to terms with um, throughout my research and something I'm making a conscious effort to um, come to grips with as well and I think academia in general needs to be more aware of that when they're conducting um, research. Absolutely, Shaquila. That is so mind-blowing for me because I actually know that experiment and I never that never even occurred to me. But not only does that, you know, what you just said, not only does that 
ignore race. It also ignores cultural factors that other, you know, races bring along, which, you know, the experiment could have been had an entirely different outcome had you, you know, included different cultures within that and different ways of life. Um, So that is so incredibly significant when people say things like, I don't know what this is really about. I don't know how it's systematic. Mm -hmm. That just shows that it goes right to the actual, you know, right to the very core of how we base our rules and, you know, the, the, the structure in which we make our society. It's based on a white person's perspective and, you know, the ways of the West entirely um, in that way. So I think that's incredibly important. And that, you know, I would have never looked at it that way um, if you hadn't pointed it out. So so just to elaborate a little bit more on that, um, I wondered, I know that you did a dissertation um, after your master's and that um, rose questions and had an impact. And I wondered what that impact was and how it shaped your focus for what you wanted to do in the future? Um, yes, so that, I told, like I mentioned earlier, that was exploring multicultural marketing and looking at how consumers respond to um, models of different ethnicities. Um, and, yeah, so that really, I guess it opened my eyes to the fact that marketing was something I was really passionate about and I wanted to make sure that I was putting myself in a position where I can actively make sure that there are, there is more representation and more inclusion, um, in media. Um, I think that that is so important for like this self-concept for younger generations looking up, you know, to see, um, someone that looks like you being held as a pillar of beauty. I think that does so much for how you think about yourself and making sure that you're not confining your idea of beauty to, something which doesn't look like you, which can in turn obviously have damaging effects. So yeah, that is something I guess which shaped my career path. And, you know, I've been in a position where sadly almost every job I've been in, I've been the only black person and I have faced discrimination. I mean, one time I remember I was in a meeting with one of my CEOs and she just stopped the meeting um, midway through just to touch my hair because she's never experienced like someone's hair with my texture before. And it was just super disheartening and it just made me feel like, wow, like, people are experiencing behind the scenes and I only have a limited position and I'm already being put in this like difficult position as well so what can I do to kind of make things better so I made sure every time there was a campaign or there was like some sort of imagery or um, any piece of research like I would really push for there to be um um a black or ethnic minority person like at the front of it um and my current um job now I'm like a marketing manager at an influencer um marketing software company and I pushed for there to be um filters um that can help brands easily locate black um and ethnic minority um and LGBTQ and disabled um influencers so you know I think a lot of the times brands were like oh we can't find these people so I wanted to make sure that you know with one click of a button you can you can find these people so I'm pushing for that um I'm just trying to find different ways that I can like push to make things easier for people coming up and you know really making sure that um there is like diversity and representation in the things that we're seeing because I think it does have it does have a massive impact um whether people are aware of it or not absolutely um I just love how you know confidently you're 
you know, pushing for what you believe in and, you know, pushing for all these super important changes that are, you know, going to impact so many people um, and not just um, in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement, but all these other minorities and kind of marginalised people as well. I wondered, did you, um, I think you're so incredibly well-spoken and confident to kind of go for all of this because I really don't know if I would have, you know, I would have the confidence. Do you feel like there's somebody along your journey that helped you to keep pushing and keep, you know, keep going despite people questioning it and despite all the resistance that you've, you know, faced? Yeah, I think obviously beyond my family and friends who have always been like incredibly supportive. Um, like my mom and dad, like they have always like really, really, really pushed me. My late sister as well was one of my biggest champions when I was doubting like this random degree that I was doing. Like, you know, she always supported me throughout the, throughout my journey. Um, but yeah, aside from family and friends, I would say Adrian Vernon, my supervisor at UCL, um, when I was saw the master's degree, I was super scared to even apply, like everybody was applying for clinical and I was like, oh, I'm going to go to London College of Fashion, like after UCL, how random. And I asked him about it and he was like, just go for it. Like, he was like, just go for it. It sounds okay. Like, what do you have to lose? Um, That really like, really gave me that push that I needed. So I was really grateful for him. Of course, Kate Nightingale for taking me on as an intern um, and just like, like taking me, around to really shadow her and learn how you the different ways that you can apply this um this field to the actual working world so I really appreciate her for that and then um Aurora Bardi who was a lecturer um the course leader of the um fashionist psychology um course at London College of Fashion she's since left um but I've she helped me actually get my um thesis published and she has been a very strong supporter of mine like we've worked on loads of um, different things together and, and she I can actually consider her a mentor and I always like run things through her and her and Kate they do like if they can't um if they're given opportunities and they maybe they can't fulfill it they'll put people in touch with me and then I them and I think when people are looking for like mentors, um, I think it's important not to just have someone as a signing board, but as someone who people who can really put you in front of opportunities um, and open doors for you as well. Um, I think that's such a huge part. It's not just mentorship, it's sponsorship, which is some, what someone called it. Um, and I think that's really important. And I'm very, very lucky to have those women um, to be part of my journey. Um, so I know that you, you hold fashion psychology workshops. I'm not sure if you were doing that or are planning to do that, but tell us a little bit about that and what that's about. So I haven't held um, fashion psychology workshops, so to speak. I have done a few webinars about like what it means and how you can get into it and what you need to know about it. Um, so we have one up on YouTube. It's called a live Q and A um, with Shakira Forsbar, and I think. I I've just been giving people the nitty gritty about how I got into it and my top tips for anyone like wanting to get into it. So that's up on YouTube, but I am hoping to, yeah, start some proper workshops and hosting them on our blog as well. I get so many DMs from students and I try my best to get to all of them, but I, I, I can't possibly. And I just, I'm grateful that people are 
really interested in getting into the field. Um, and I guess people just really want to know the practical applications of all of this research. So I'm hoping I can provide that in the next year. So I guess stay tuned. But for now, the blog has so much content on it. Like, honestly, like there's every aspect of fashion psychology you could think about. I'm sure we've written about it on the blog. So there are the resources there for people to use. We always make sure we tag like the papers and studies where they came from. So if people want to read more, they can read the papers. Um and yeah, so I am hoping that next year we'll have more more workshops and classes and just a lot more available. Amazing. And what would you say you're most proud of to date? Oh my gosh, what am I most proud of to date? Do you know what? Having my paper published and being a published fashion psychologist was always like a super big goal of mine and getting it published anybody is in academia knows that that can be such a long process I think it took me maybe two years to get it published to get it past all of the different editors and having to make adjustments so that was super hard and again I have to thank Aurora Bardi for really pushing me and when I wanted to give up when I got some not nice comments from some of the editors but in the end we ended up getting it published in the International Journal of Market Research um, and yeah, I'm just very proud of that, especially on the subject matter, which was super, super close to my heart. So I think I will always cherish that. And I wondered in light of that, what's your vision for the future and what's the impact that you want to have um, if you could have any level of impact that you can think of? I think just generally getting people to understand the impact of clothing and beauty and what it has on them I think some people think of fashion and beauty industry as like super vapid and you know a polluter of the world but I think if people realize that um the impact that clothing and beauty can have on you and how you can use it as a tool to express your identity or to express your culture or to make you feel good generally or to um help you even um you know connect to people that have gone by like for example my sister passed a few years ago and sometimes even being with her possessions or wearing her clothing like that's something that can help me stay grounded and connected and you know clothing can be very impactful if you're aware of its powers and if you utilize them and then if you do that you'll have a stronger relationship with their with your clothes and you'll be more um thoughtful about the things that you buy and you'll be think twice about throwing things away and contributing to waste and contributing to your carbon footprint. So, you know, it, it has a very big and lasting impact. And I hope people, I hope through my work and through my research, I can get people to understand that and for fashion brands to understand that too, if they want to help their consumers understand and enable them to develop a closer connections with their, with their purchases. And just to touch on the sustainability piece as well, because I know you're quite passionate about that. Is there anything that you've, uh, you know, is there anything that you're doing in the field at the moment or anything that you see happening? Because that's also like a very big interest of mine with fast fashion kind of taking over. Are you seeing, you know, from your perspective, um, being like an expert in this field, do you see a shift with where that's going? So I think when I was starting my work into fashion psychology, I 
sustainability was like nothing on my radar at all. Like I really learned a lot about it at London College of Fashion and then the way people who are like knee deep within this like sustainability um, movement um, were really resonating with my work. And um, one of my um, peers on the course, um, she just published an amazing paper about clothing and attachment. Um, and she's just done like so much re amazing research. Her name is Rebecca Fleetwood. Um, Rebecca Fleetwood Smith, if anybody wants to check out her work. And I just think that people are really understanding the importance of attachment um, to clothing and how that is impacting um, sustainable initiatives. So not just about chastising people for buying fast fashion or not imploring people to buy like more sustainable, but making people aware of the relationship with their clothing. As I mentioned earlier, um, I'm still someone that's still, you know, on my sustainability journey, like trying actively not to buy from fast fashion brands and being a more conscious consumer and thinking about, you know, like packaging and everything like, um, everything to do sustainability but I think I'm looking at it from a different angle and I think people are starting to realize that angle as well that attachment angle um and I think you know I'm currently working with um Afterpay and Clearpay and their data was looking at Christmas shopping and it found that people are looking at more personalized gifts this year and I think again people are really trying to place more consideration into the things that they're buying um and again like I said if you're think, taking something into consideration it's less likely to be like a cheap throwaway purchase that you're not going to be with in the next six months and this again is going to go into another big landfill um so people are moving away from purely aesthetic shopping and more about shopping with a purpose and thinking about how things make them feel rather than just how they look so I think we're seeing maybe indirectly um how people's relationships with their clothing is positively impacting sustainability and i'm hoping yeah to just keep driving that conversation forward and getting more insights from the people who are really on the forefront of the sustainability movement yes i feel like um just from a completely intuitive and uneducated point of view i feel like just how much people are you know, more likely to go to secondhand shops and get their little pieces from there. I feel like there is a real shift happening. So it's really nice to know that that is actually, you know, happening. So I wondered, um, the question that we ask everyone um, in, the, in the podcast is, what would you have told a younger version of you or when you were just starting out that might have helped you? I think to not be scared. Um, I think fear can be super debilitating, especially when you're starting something new and when you don't really have a blueprint to look at. So when I was starting this, I yeah, there wasn't any like major fashion psychologists or like a hub of fashion psychologists I could look at and be like, okay, if that doesn't work, I can do this. Like I didn't have that many people to look up to and I didn't really... I was so unsure and I let fear kind of maybe stop me from pushing things earlier or maybe pushing, putting myself out there for fear of not being understood. Um, so yeah, I would tell my younger self, you know, don't be fearful and just trying something new is always going to be difficult, but you know, rise up to the challenge and you'll see positive results.